This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now, up to to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by a two-time All-Star. He led the National League in saves in 2004. He accumulated 300 saves over his 18 years in the big leagues and is a member of the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Isringhausen. Jace, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, buddy. How are you? I'm sorry. We... For all you listening to the Boom Podcast right now, we're having a little technical difficulties. It was it's my fault. Something's wrong with my my uh, headset, but we're going to deal with it. Um, Cardinals Hall of Fame. It it sticks out to me because most of the teams have their own Hall of Fame separate. Cardinals seems to be a little more, and I don't want to use the word iconic, but it is a little more special. I mean, it's it's a different level. It's kind of like the Yankees. It's kind of you know, Cincinnati's pretty prestigious Hall of Fame. Yeah. What makes it so – I mean, you go back to Dizzy Dean, Stan Musial, and then, you know, Gibson and Torrey, uh, Big Mac, Edmonds, Rollins. Um, I don't know. Tell me tell me why the Cardinals Hall of Fame has, has a special place, I think, in baseball lore. Well, it's really got a special place for me. I grew up, you know, 40 minutes from the stadium. So I grew up a Cardinals fan listening to Jack Buck and – uh, God rest his soul. Mike Shannon just passed away recently. So, I mean, we've, uh, you know, we grew up with those guys on the radio and me and dad in the truck back in the day, listening to the Cardinals baseball. But, um, you know, this Cardinals do it great. You know, we do it with the opening day, you know, with the Clydesdales and things like that. Uh, Mr. DeWitt and the DeWitt family built that ballpark village on the outside of the stadium. And we got the Cardinals uh, hall of fame over there in the museum and stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the red jackets and uh, being able to rub elbows with some of my heroes and then some of my great teammates that I played with. It's uh, pretty special to me. 
You mentioned uh, Mike Shannon. I uh, going back to Jack, but I mean that's what I remember too. You know, I wasn't a Cardinals fan. I'm growing up a Philly fan and an Angel fan, but the legendary, the, just Jack Buck and his. Uh, here we are, bringing out, coming out to the. Oh ball. yeah. I mean, loved him and and just iconic. But Mike Shannon, uh, you mentioned him. He passed away recently. As a guy that never played for the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, I was always the opponent, but coming to St. Louis through the years, I always knew a couple of things were going to happen. One of them was going to be Mike Shannon was going to be there. Booney, can I grab you for the what a pre or the post? Uh, he grew up there. He played for the Cardinals. He did it for a long time. And, and still to this day, you know, uh, the journey we've both been on and my my upbringing in the game. I've been around so many wonderful people and so many memories I have from childhood to present. But uh, Mike Shannon was a special guy. And, and it seemed like every time I went to St. Louis, he's a guy that you don't forget. You know, we all go on our journey. We go to different ballparks and different cities and we run into different characters. But Shannon had a special place. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody that's been in the game a, a, a few years or even a cup of coffee, if, if you've met Mike Shannon, you're never going to forget him. He's, um, I've, I've had the luxury of hunting with him and hanging out with him and having dinner with him and him telling stories of back in the day. I mean, if you look at his career, he's one of the I mean, most accomplished athletes ever to come out of the state of Missouri. I mean, went to Mizzou, CBC High School, did everything. Um, Liver disease kind of cut his career short, started working for the brewery there in St. Louis, going to all the bars, handing out beers to everybody, being a promoter. And then he got a job with Jack and, uh, you know, Jack kind of showed him the way. And then now you have guys in St. Louis now saying that Mike showed them the way. Um, you know, Jack Buck was did every sport back in the day. You know, we, we loved him in St. Louis with the, the speech after 9-11 that he gave here at Bush Stadium. And, uh, you know, but he did all the major sports just like his son Joe does now. And it's just that the Buck name is synonymous with uh, broadcasting every sport. You know, I thought Jack, uh, Joe did a great job at the U.S. Open with baseball, football, him and Aikman. And uh, it's just, a, and, and I, I know them both, uh, new Mr. Buck, no Joe Buck. It's a uh, great family to be around, great guys. And But, yeah, Mr. Shannon is, um, I hunt with his son. You know, and they have a hunting club, and Mike's always there or was there, you know, sharing the stories, having, a, as Mike would say, a cold frosty at times with him and uh, just uh, telling the stories of how it was back in the day and, and uh, listen to his stories of who he met through Jack Buck. And uh, I could just sit with him forever and uh, listen to his stories. He was a great storyteller. I mean, I had a few superlatives here and there that maybe weren't <laughs> politically correct, but. Mike Shannon is Mike Shannon, and uh, there's a lot of us around town going to miss him dearly. It is, and still to this day, you know, I never got it. When I was playing, they said, oh, Cincinnati's a big baseball town. Well, I played in Cincinnati for five, six years, uh, and it was a great baseball town, but it wasn't any different to me. I went to Seattle. I, we had some great yeah. years in Seattle. That's a great baseball town. But St. Louis kind of stands up above and beyond New York's New York, you know, and we're going right. to get to that a little bit. That's where you started. I mean, that's that's the epicenter of not only not only baseball, but but a lot of things. Uh, but St. Louis does when it comes strictly to baseball. It, it's kind of it rises above everywhere I've ever been as far as knowledge of fans, uh, loyalty of fans, 
and just class of fans year in and year out. Doesn't matter where. And, and St. Louis has had a lot of, a lot of great years and they're pretty yeah. consistent franchise and staying atop that division or getting to that postseason. So they haven't had long stretches uh, of missing the postseason that they're year in and year out. You can pretty much count St. Louis Cardinals are going to answer the bell. But I've just watched over the years, and it's just consistent. They come out, rain or shine, winning, losing. They're the same. You don't have that. You know, it seems like that city, and I'm sure as athletes, we all we all need to be critiqued. You know, the money we make. And, and if we're not living up to it, I always, as a, as a player, thought, I know what I signed up for. And when it's good, I'm going to be praised. And when it's bad, I got to answer to why it's bad. I have an obligation to the city, to the fans. St. Louis, you playing there for those years, it, it just does seem to be when it's strictly I'm talking baseball now, maybe the class of baseball as far as a city and how the, how it encompasses the game of baseball. Yeah, it's, um, it's it's one of a kind. And and I try to explain to people, I mean, we're, I always say St. Louis is the Yankees of the National League, so to speak. We travel well. I mean, our fans travel all over the countryside to, to watch us play. Everywhere we go, it's it's like half home team, half Cardinals fans, um, and like you talked about being a, I you know I've watched the specials of how you guys saved uh, baseball in Seattle. I loved going to Seattle, loved going to Cincinnati, but yeah, I mean just being in St. Louis, I grew up there, and um, when I became a free agent when I left Oakland, um, had an opportunity to come here, and it was just like a no brainer for me. Uh, I got to play in front of my family and friends, and uh, and like you're saying, the best fans of baseball. 3 million plus almost every year. And, um, you know, until this year, you know, we've had a, a crappy first month in St. Louis, but, um, you know, a lot of years, a lot of winning. And um, they have let the they have let the players feel their pain right now. There's been a few boo, boo birds here and there, but it's, uh, you know, like you're saying, that's part of the game. They, they paid their money, the hard-earned money for those tickets, and if they're going to boo you, they're going to boo you. I mean, You've been booed before. I've been booed before. Everybody's been booed before when you do bad at your job. And uh, it's just, I think it goes with the territory. They have that right. And, um, you know, the Cardinals fans expect us to make the playoffs every year, and we don't show up and play that well. Huh? Yeah, you're going to get booed. Izzy, first of all, I've never been booed. With the last <laughs> name, with the last name Boone, I always say, hey, come on. Oh, I get it. Yeah. You know, it's an obvious. No, trust me. I know the difference between Boone and Boo, and, and I've had both. Um, coming up as a young as a young kid, you were a catcher in high school. You went to Lewis and Clark Community College, but I want to kind of go forward. And I remember because I got to the big leagues a few few years before you, but but there's certain classes. Uh draft classes certain certain and it seems like it's always a group of pitchers you know in the 90s uh, uh a few years after you it was and i believe it no no or a few years before you it was uh van poppel and a couple other guys with yeah. oakland they're all the big draft picks but you came up in a similar kind of uh you guys were heralded. It was you, Pulsifer, and Paul Wilson. Yeah. You come up in 1995. This is what I'm interested on a on a, you know, being selfish, because I grew up in in Philly. 1980, uh, Dad's Phillies won the World yeah. Series under Dallas Green. Oh yeah. You came up <laughs> under Dallas Green. Now, as a kid running around Philadelphia, you have one interpret. You don't really care. It's like 
dad's going to work. Yeah, I love putting my Philly uni on and watching these guys. Could care less what's going on with the manager. Uh, you know, there was grumbling, but at the end of the day, he came in in 1980 and they won a World Series in 1980. Uh, you came up with Dallas Green, heralded uh, 1995. You're nine and two. Uh, you have a 281, and that's your kind of your maiden voyage. Tell me how that was. We just talked about St. Louis and how great of a city it is. Coming up in New York, it's a different animal. It's a different animal. Not too many people get to do it. I always thought at the end of my career, I said, you know, I'd like to finish. Maybe if I'm a part-time player when I'm washed up, I play for the Yankees, play for the Mets, and just get a taste of it. Because coming to New York for me as an opponent, I loved it. I loved it. I could get up in the morning and take a walk down. You know, you pull out of the uh, – I forget the – The Grand Hyatt. The, the Grand Hyatt, right. <laughs> You pull out of there and I would just take a walk down the street, maybe get a hot dog, maybe get a coffee, whatever time of day. But I'd have, whether we're playing the Mets or the Yankees, I'd have somebody from the other side of the street yell at me, Boone, you suck and we're going to kick. And I loved it. And I'd wave back to him. I just love that atmosphere. I love uh, New York the way they are. You know, I walk into a deli and they're like, what the hell do you want? That's their way of saying, Hey, how you doing today, sir? And and I appreciated that. Um, just tell me, young kid, high expectations, uh, and and you get off to a a start of nine and two and a two eight one in the big city, in front of the, you know in in the biggest kind of stage in Major League Baseball. That's New York. It was. Um, I mean, if I if I could change one thing about my career, I love playing for the Cardinals. I never want to change that. But if I could have spent my whole career in New York kind of like Jeter did, um, you know, it, it's pretty special being in New York. And uh, Mr. Will Pond was the owner of the Mets then. Um, since then, um, Mr. Cohen's taken over. But, um, I, you know, I thought Mr. Will Pond was great to me. He took good care of me. Uh, granted, I came up there and Johnny Franco was there. Johnny kind of took me under his wing. And him and Mr. Will Pond were pretty tight. So that kind of was the bond there. And, um I got my 300. I got my very first save in New York with a three inning save uh, when I got moved out of the starting rotation after an elbow surgery. And then I got my 300 back in New York like 11 years later. I mean, it's pretty crazy. And Mr. DeWitt gave me a nice sculpture and things. He said some very nice words to me back in the back tunnel of the stadium. But um, coming up 22 years old, you know, it's um, billboards all over the place. You know, we're supposed to be the next coming of the. 69 Mets, you know, uh, with the, the pitching they had. And then in the 86 Mets with Good and Darling and Fernandez, uh, you know, they put a lot of pressure on us because that's New York. You know, we, we came up at a time when there was no pitch counts. Uh, in the minor leagues, if we didn't go nine innings, it wasn't considered a very good start. Whether win or lose, we they were training us to go nine innings, whether it took – I think my best ever was maybe 84 pitches in nine innings and then maybe up to 140. Uh, it was just that's what we were groomed to do is throw nine innings and that was before pitch counts and uh, we got to the big leagues uh, a lot of pressure on the three of us but I thought we handled that well it just the injuries took its toll we all had Tommy John surgery you know the elbow surgery that everybody dreads but your arms only got so many bullets in it and uh, but I was able to bounce back from my elbow surgery and play a, a few more years after that but uh, like you're saying New York is a it's a different animal I can still go there today and walk down the city, walk down the street in the city, and somebody's going to yell my name out. Uh, you know, we miss you. We should have stayed here all season. You should have stayed here your whole career. 
you sucked when you came back or you sucked with the Cardinals, blah, blah, blah. It's a good thing you weren't closing when the, you guys played the Mets. Wainwright closed it out. You never would have done, you know, you get, they're very knowledgeable. They never forget your career. And, um, but in that same thing, of like you look at somebody like Derek Jeter who spent all of his career there and he's an icon there. And, you know, number two is all over the city. It's just, if you do well in New York, they embrace you, you know. And, if, and for me, my, uh, I, like you said, I started 92. The next season I was 6 and 14, had a bad shoulder. Then came the elbow injury. And then, I mean, New York pretty much chewed me up and spit me out. I mean, the best thing that happened to me was getting traded to Oakland. Uh, they made me a closer out there, Billy Bean did. And uh, But like I said, New York is a special place. Still a special place to me. I'm always going to be a Mets fan. Uh, that's who drafted me. That's who I came up with. Um, you know, I think anybody that's ever played for your original team, you're always going to be somewhat of a fan of them. And, um, you know, they gave me my shot. And then uh, Steve Phillips traded me to Oakland, gave me another shot. Uh, it's just a crazy, crazy thing the game is. You know, you you think you've worn out one spot, you go to a new spot, and things take shape. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, you're, you made an all-star in Oakland. I made an all-star in St. Louis. It's just uh, – but New York was my starting point and uh, still got a special place in my heart. My wife and I go back there all the time. Uh, best places to eat in the city are unbelievable. The parks and uh, just New York is amazing. The people, I love them all. And it's, it was so much fun. Like I said, would have loved to have stayed there my whole career. But, you know, you can't replace the years that I spent in Oakland or in St. Louis. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Recently, I had uh, Johnny Smoltz on, yep. on, on the podcast, and he was a guy that obviously had a decade of being a dominant number one type starter. Yeah. Uh, I pl I played with him in 99 and he was going through arm problems yeah. and it had to push him into the bullpen. Now it's, it's a different when you're John Smoltz after winning Cy Young's. And they, <laughs> I think at the time when he had to go to the bullpen, he probably had won 10 division titles. So it's a little different for a guy like that having to go to the bullpen, he ended up returning to, to be a starter. But I talked to, to him about that, and he said, you know, pretty much for him, it's what he had to do at the time. I remember he, he was a straight-over-the-top guy, yeah. fastball slider, and then he had to go to three-quarters to take that pressure. And, off, and, and he went with the split, right? Yeah. Actually, you know what's weird about it? I hated facing Smoltz my whole career. <laughs> he went to the bullpen. I could pick up his pitches from the three-quarter angle that he came at. So it was he was still nasty. But it, but it was easier for me. I could actually see him. I told him that. But I want to talk about that coming up. You're a heralded st young starting pitcher, stud. All of a sudden, you have these injuries. You have this adversity early on in your career. And by 99, you're getting traded to the A's, and you're becoming a closer. Back then, as you mentioned, in the in the minor leagues, you were expected to go nine innings. And, and yeah. back then, the best pitchers were starters. And the guys in the bullpen were guys in the bullpen. They couldn't cut it as a starter. All of a yeah. sudden, different these days. You know, they groom the the, the bullpens these days. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of money put into the bullpens. Back in our day, at the beginning, uh, no, that's where the guy 
that's where the guys in the pen that that weren't good enough. All yeah. of a sudden, you're going to the pen. Ended up being a uh, a great closer for a lot of years. But how is that on a young mind when you're thinking, no, I'm a star, I'm a New York Met. I'm going to be a number one starter in New York Met. I'm Tom Seaver, and now all of a sudden you're getting traded to the Oakland, and you're going to the bullpen. I, I know the bullpen started a little bit before you, you went to Oakland, but in a young mind, what's going through your mind? Yeah, I remember, uh, I, I can't remember what city we were in, but when I got traded, I got traded uh, myself and Greg McMichael for Billy Taylor from New York to Oakland. And uh, I remember Steve Phillips saying, hey, are you going to go out there? And I got on the phone with Billy Bean. He said, I want you to come out here and be a closer for me. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that, but I will do it, you know. And I got out there and Doug Jones was in the bullpen. Remember Mr. Changeup, Doug Jones. I, mean, I remember him well. Rest. He's Mr. Jones. I mean, he, yeah. we lost him a few years back. But, yeah, I sat down next to him and became a sponge. And he taught me all the nuances of pitching late in the game. You know, never get beat to the short part of the ballpark late in the game. Make sure they beat you down and away. It's the same things that I work with all of our pitchers now. It's just, you know, you pay it forward from what an old veteran gave you back in the day. And uh, um, But I loved it because I could play every day. I had troubles um, – having something to do for four days in between starts uh, 22 in New York city. You find a lot of things to do in between your starts in New York. And uh, you know, I got to Oakland and uh, it was fun because I got to maybe be in the game every single day. It kept me locked in um, those first couple innings. You know, you kind of hang out in the dugout, you go in and get ready you get out to the bullpen about the fourth or fifth inning. And you really start paying attention and you learn a lot of things and you watch hitters like yourself. You try to find out what they're, tendencies are and how they're being pitched that day and things like that and like I never did that as a starter you know I you know I'm sitting in the dugout doing charts just writing down numbers and things like that that it's not the same as being able to watch a guy take it bats or watching his warm-up swings on deck that's usually his his power swing is when he's warming up on deck is what I try to show kids uh this is the kid this is the guy's strength and it's just I started learning that from some of the older guys that were in the bullpen just watching the game and learning from it. And, uh, you know, it served me well learning from those guys. Isn't it amazing? Uh, you're talking to me about uh, studying, you know, what are my tendencies? What have I done? That That's all I did as a hitter is I'd sit there and I'd go, okay, uh, what have I done this series? I know those guys in the bullpen are watching me right now. Yeah. Am I hot? Am I not? Who's hitting behind me? Yeah. You know, is Edgar Martinez hitting by me? What's he done? And I'll go, I'll go to Edgar. Seriously. If I got Izzy coming in the game, I'm going to look, all right, what's my recent history with you? And I'm going to go to Edgar. I'm say, what do you do off Isringhausen? He's either going to say, Hey, I like hitting off. I've done well. Or, you know, he's giving me some, some problems. I come up in a big situation with a base open. Uh, and I kind of have an idea whether you're going to come right at me or you're going to be, a, and that, you're just, I'm just using you as a scenario, but whatever pitchers on the mound, uh, sometimes it's going to be like, wow, this guy's got my number. Edgar wears him out. This guy's coming right after me. Yeah. I'm going to know that I'm going to be ready. That's how I'm going to prepare for my bat. But I'd love to hear that from the pitching side. I don't hear it enough in the game. You know, I, I tell young players, I, I remember when I worked for the A's, I, I, I did, uh, I was a, uh, you know, the assistant, special assistant for yeah. a couple of years. And, and, and I went to instructional ball and I, you know, I, at this point in my life, you know, I've been through everything and, you know, I've been a young player and not paid attention. I've been an elder player who studied the game almost to a fault. And I would watch these young players 
throughout an instructional ball game. And there's certain sequences you get in, as you know, an instructional ball that a pitcher will throw. It's like uh, after a certain thing, we're going to throw a changeup <laughs> in this particular situation. And I'm watching all these young players at instructional ball. And I said, uh, I called them up and I said, did you see what just happened there? And I, and I grabbed my catcher in particularly. I said, do they have a sequence on their side? They said, well, I don't know. I said, do we have a sequence that we use? He goes, yeah, absolutely. Change up after this, whatever, whatever that sequence was. I said, if we have one, don't you think they have one? And if they have one, instead of dicking around for three innings, wouldn't you think it would serve you well to find out what that sequence is? And if you know a change up coming, sit on it and hit one off that light tower. And, and they kind of all went, oh, yeah, maybe we should watch. It's funny because when we're young, we don't think like that. We're just right. hair on fire and we want to do well and prove that we belong here. But as you get older, those those little cat and mouse games, you know, you talking about being in the bullpen and really paying attention, you know, playing out. I'm sure you played scenarios in your mind. OK, if I come in this situation, I'm facing yeah. these guys. How am I going to approach them? How have they done this series? How have they done that game? That to me is the real cool part of the game. Well, it was like, you know, facing when we, when we had to go into Seattle and you're facing Boone, Griffey, Buhner, Martinez, Cameron. I mean, you never had a – you couldn't let your foot off the pedal as a pitcher. Um, it was – when you guys won those 116 games that year, I mean, it was amazing to watch. Um, you know, you had uh, Suzuki in the bullpen. You know, that was who I was battling like for, uh, you know, who could who had the most saves and stuff. And I'm like, Jesus, he's in there every single day. I went in 116 games. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, amazing to watch you guys, but yeah, you have to sit there and you have to watch. It's like, only thing I wanted to know is who was hot and who swung the first pitch. That's really all I wanted to know, because I wanted to know if I could throw a fastball down the way and you, if you're going to take it, or if you're going to hack it, if you're going to bat flip me out there to right center, which you like to do back in those days. So it's, uh, <laughs> I remember, don't worry. I gave up Buhner's 200th home run. I remember that. I remember all kinds of stuff back in the day. Uh, or it might've been his 300th. I can't remember what it was, but it was, it was a milestone for him. And, uh, you know, but yeah, it's, it's like trying to teach these young kids how to watch the game. They're so into, uh, the analytics today. They think they can get all the answers off the iPads and the computers. And, um, you know, we had to learn all this stuff out on our own back in the day, you know, just by watching like now we can see what the guy's tendency, like all of our hitters can look at a, a guy's pitching performance and, they find out his tendencies in five seconds by just typing in a count, and they're going to find out what he pitched he throws 70% of the time in this certain count. Uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff that we had to learn our own and keep a journal and write everything down. We didn't have it at our fingertips like they do today. Um, analytics is great in that sense. You know, there's a, a few things that I don't like about it, but we find out what a kid does really quick, what he does well a lot quicker now than the old eyeball test. But, uh, yeah, the nuances of the game, the, those things will never change. Like you're saying, finding the patterns of an organization throughout them because they all have them. You know, if there's an 0-2 strike, you know, if they get the 0-2, they're going to throw a fastball in. Or, they're, you know, one, you know, one ball, they're going to throw a changeup. Or if they get ahead of one, a slider's coming. I mean, if you watch the game long enough, you will find those tendencies of a organization or perhaps a pitcher, something that he's working on in the lower levels. And trying to teach these kids that there's more to life than spinning around looking what's over the dugout rather than paying attention to what's going on during the game. 
Talk about your Oakland years a little bit. In 2000, you're an all-star for the first time, uh, 33 saves. 2001, you had 34 saves. On that, by the way, great Oakland team. Uh, we talked about that 01 Mariner team, and, yeah. you know, we we were just – it was one of those – Izzy, we were a great team, uh, but we had something. Something was in the water in Seattle that year. I, we didn't want to parse it. We didn't want to mess with it. Uh, it was just a, you know, I call it a magic carpet ride. It was unbelievable. It's nothing we took for granted. We just accepted and thought we're probably never going to see anything like this again. Just enjoy the ride. Right. And, and, and we did. And people forget Oakland that year. You guys won like 104 games <laughs> and you finished 12 games out. <laughs> you know, that's how amazing <laughs> And it, and it wasn't just uh, us in Oakland. It, it was an amazing division at that time in baseball in the early 2000s. You had the Angels who won the World Series in 2002. So yeah. uh, it wasn't just us. Um, great team you had in 2001. Uh, Giambi and Tejada and Chavez were young players. Yeah. Huddy, Mulder, and Zito, who were the big three for years in Oakland. Um You've probably been asked this a lot. I just want to know Moneyball. I love the movie. I loved it. Yeah. I've had Chavi on the show. I've had Jason on the show. I've asked him. I've asked them all. Uh, how accurate was it? I'm going to ask you weren't <laughs> 2002 was the actual where Moneyball was staged, but you were in the precursor to it. How accurate do you think that was? You were the, you were just there a year off in 02. You end up, you end up starting your tenure in, in uh, St. Louis, but yeah. How close was that Moneyball movie to how it really was in Oakland at that time in baseball history? Well, I think um, I think the concept of the movie was great when they started talking about the analytical department and trying to uh, find the three guys that could, you know, duplicate what Jason did. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, not once in that movie did they talk about during the win streak, did they talk about their starting pitching? <laughs> I mean, right. you're not those games without the without the Huddies and the Molders and the Zitos. And the, I don't know, Corey Lytle, so to speak, Gil Haradia, guys that were really good starting pitching. Uh, the pitching went out the door in the movie. I mean, they made it for great TV. Um, some of the things I think that, that some of the guys they portrayed, I don't think maybe things happened that way. Um, I've been around Billy enough to know. Uh, I don't think Billy walked around chewing seeds and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, it's uh, it was great for TV. I think they got the concept uh to out to the normal people about how uh, how the analyticals were going to start taking over the the game and uh, on base percentage were, was better than average and things like that. It's uh, you know for them to win twenty in a row is pretty darn special. I mean, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot more a lot more that went into it than just what they showed on the movie. Billy liked it though because he was getting portrayed by Pitt. Well, Brad Pitt said my name, so it made me look good in front of my wife and my wife too. So that was great. <laughs> <laughs> On to St. Louis, where you have some great years. Uh, three, four years in a row, sub three ERA. Uh, 2004, you lead the league in saves with 47. You're an all star in 05. We've touched on St. Louis those years, but let's talk your first World Series you get to go to 2004. 2004. Uh, yeah, Boston coming off that unbelievable, oh, yeah, unbelievable comeback in New York, and then it's almost like when you come back from that, and and I've had I've had guys on from that Boston team, and I said it's one of it's one of the most impressive feats I've ever seen in sports to be down to the, especially at that time those Yankees teams to be down three oh. zero 
to win four straight. It's unbelievable. Well, it's, it's it's off the charts. And then I'm thinking, well, St. Louis, St. Louis has got no chance after coming back from something right. like that. Well, the thing of it is, when I look at those that three one or three zero, whatever, how do you come back when you have Mariano Rivera at the end of the game? Yeah, it's almost impossible to beat him three days in a row. You know, to to win three games, to come back from if they're it's just an amazing feat that they did. And when we got to Boston, it was like, man, we just ran to a buzzsaw. There was no there was no stopping them. Uh, their starting pitching was hot. Keith Folk was was a dominant closer at the time, and they had a great lineup. And it was just. You know, that first game, I think Woody pitched that first game. Woody Williams pitched that first game in um, in Boston. It was rainy and cold and nasty. I think he gives up a home run in the first inning or something like that. And it was just uh, it was just a tough to claw back from. And um, I think they swept us. We were stuck out in Quincy, Massachusetts somewhere because nobody expected them to get to the World Series. So there was they had a conference in town and there were no hotel rooms. So we were stuck like an hour outside of Boston eating hamburgers and hot dogs after the games. I mean, it was miserable. But, you know, it's an experience that we'll never forget. Um, but, yeah, running into that Boston team after they came back from that deficit with the Yankees, it was just – it was a tough one to swallow. We'd won over 100 games that year, and uh, we were feeling pretty good about ourselves. But then as we're watching this, it's like, man, this is going to be a tough team to beat. They're running on a pretty high note here. I mean – at that time of the year, you know, everybody's running on fumes, but they just came back against the Yankees and there. They had just like restocked their fuel and all their tanks and they were coming in hot and uh, it showed. Oh, six, you get back to the World Series. You end up winning a ring that year. Uh, talk to me about that team. Um, and there are some great players. I look back on that team. That was the beginning of Benji Molina. Uh, that, that was early in his career. Uh, Guys, I forgot about Eckstein, oh, yeah. who who was who was a huge to me didn't get enough credit. He was a huge part of that O two Angels team that won oh. that World Series. I mean, just a pain in the neck at bat time. At you know, he wasn't the he didn't have the fanfare of a Vladimir Guerrero right. or a, a Garrett Anderson or or you pick somebody from those great Angel teams. But he's right in the middle of it again. Scotty Rowland, who's going into the Hall of Fame. Jimmy Edmonds. Uh, Wayne Wright at the beginning of his career. And what a career he's I, Still to this day, I love watching Wayne yeah. Wright pitch. He's one of the true pitchers in the game. He's pushing 40 years old if he's not 40. Uh, just briefly, that 06 team and and uh, winning that ring. Pretty awesome. Not, not all of us get to have one. I got a second-place ring. Yeah. Um, well, in 2004, we got swept by the Red Sox, so I got my second place ring that year. And then in 06, I had uh, I had a couple bad. I had I've had my hip replaced since then, so I had a bad hip, and I had to go down September 9th. I blew the save in Washington at old RFK Stadium. I went to Tony's office. I said, Tony, I can't. We had like a nine game lead in the division, and uh, I said, Tony, I can't do it anymore. I'm not helping this team every time I go out there, and you're going to run me out there because. You have faith in me, and I said, but I just can't do it anymore. So, I had, then I had hip surgery a few days after that. So I'm, you know, we're sitting there in the offices. It's me and Dunk and Tony, and we're trying to figure out who's going to close games out. And we went through all of our guys, and and we tried some different guys, and some guys blew games here and there. And then we came down to Wayno, and it's like you know, ignorance is bliss, so to speak. He had a, had a good fastball, had a swing and miss curveball, and as at the end of the game, you got to have a swing and miss pitch, and Wayno had that curveball. And so we threw him in a couple games. He did okay here and there, but, um, 
you know, we just threw him out there right into the fire from the get-go and uh, taught him how to control his breast a little bit, not speeding the game up too much and making pitches. And then he threw that iconic curveball to Beltron and the NC, uh, NCS or NLCS, whatever it is, uh, froze Beltron to get to the World Series. And we went in against a, a really, really good Detroit team, Verlander, uh, Zuniga uh, was at the back end of the bullpen. And I think um, they made some pitchers throwing errors in those games that we came back from and won some games. And then Wayne will close that out, striking out Brandon Inge. And um, just an amazing team. Though. Like, you know, we had the MV3, we had Roland, we had Albert uh, Pujols, Jim Edmonds, Reggie Sanders. I mean, we had Larry Walker. I mean, in old yeah. four, you forget we made that trade with Larry, and uh, what a great human being he is. We we had so much fun together with Larry, and uh, that was in old four, and then um, we got to oh six, and So Taguchi is an unsung hero there against Billy Wagner hitting a home run. Uh, Yadi, you said one of the other Molina brothers, but Yadi got his start. Yadi hit that home run off of uh, Hillman, I think Hillman. Um, and then you have Indy Chavez making that robbing catch from Roland in the NLCS. And just, like I said, I mean, we, um, we played really well to beat a really good Mets team. And, um, uh, we had our young relievers, Randy Flores, who's our scouting director now, Tyler Johnson, Josh Kinney, all rookies that were in our bullpen that year. And we had to throw them into the fire and, uh, they prevailed. I mean, they all went out there and did their jobs. They all had great sliders. Have them facing guys like Delgado and Beltron and the guy they had a really good team and uh, kids came up big for us. Uh, won the World Series there. Uh, went, like I said, Wayno closed out the game and uh, Wayno's been going ever since. And uh, I think he is 41. Uh, he's the calming force to our team and and we really need him right now. Like I said, the Cardinals have struggled this year like they haven't in the past since uh, probably early 90s. And, uh, you know, how do you react? And um, we're like, well, nobody knows how to react that are in the front office because most people weren't around then. Um, but we're getting there. I mean, we, we bounced back the last couple of days against the Cubs. So uh, it's baseball. We've both played enough of to know that you're going to lose a few and you're going to win a few. And it's everybody's going to be 500. It's what, what you do with those other 40 games that really, really matter. So, uh, you know, they just got to keep grinding. It's a long baseball season, six months of it all. It'll wear on you. Um, your next stop is the Rays, uh, and this is when you this is when you start. You having some injuries, and in, and you mentioned the Tommy John, and it's yeah. it, it's such an interesting injury because nowadays it's it just oh he had Tommy John, but nobody ever talks about it and what it is and what the rehab and the mental side of it is for the for the person that has the surgery. I had Tommy John on, and he said to this day, he goes, I've never had anybody ask me how to rehab from it. Interesting. The guy that they named the, the injury after <laughs> nobody's ever called him. He said to this day, he said, not one guy that's ever had the injury. Talk about getting Tommy John. You had a couple of them. I think at least two, right? And three, 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 total. To, three Tommy Johns. And I don't, you know, everybody knows what it is and, and it's resurrected a lot of guys career. It saved a lot of guys career, but nobody talks about the mental side of it as an athlete coming back from Tommy John that, that, that because it's a long process, and yeah. when you first start throwing, is 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 it always their doubt in your mind? Like, when can I let it go? When can I let it go? Just talk about you've been through three of them. You're pretty good yeah. to talk to about it. Tell me the mental side of going through that, Tommy John. 
I think the hardest part is uh, backing off when you feel good. Um, the main the main part of rehabbing for Tommy John is uh, they take tendons out of your body and they they make them into a ligament into your elbow. So what they have to do is they have to drill holes in the in the forearm bones and then the humerus bones, and they have to weave this tendon through there and make like a figure eight. And then you're waiting. You're not really waiting for the ligament to heal. You're waiting for the bones that they drilled into to heal. And it's it's a six months process before those bones will heal. And then you start gradually coming back from that and throwing and trying to figure out when it's sore and when it actually hurts. You know, I try to tell kids it's if you've ever had a surgery, you're never going to be normal again. And that, that's the thing in game of baseball. If you feel like if you don't have any aches or pains, you're not doing something right. Uh, it's a grind. Uh, the mental part of any rehab. You went through Tommy John, I believe. You uh, didn't you go through Tommy John? No, no, no. I was lucky. Had, I never had one. No both surgery though. Yes, point. I did. Yeah, I did with eight, uh, with Doctor Andrews. Yeah. And and uh, I just had elbow chips, but no Tommy. Oh, John. that's what it was. Yeah, because yeah. you came back really quick. I remember that. Ah, that's pretty good. How did you remember yeah. that? I, I I was. Go ahead. There's more about you than you think. I remember things. So uh, wow, I was sitting in his office. I had the surgery. Uh, actually, my daughter was. Uh, born the night before I had surgery. So I go into the, uh, my daughter's born. I see her born. I kind of give her to her mom. I get in a cab and I go to Dr. Andrews and I said, all right, doc, here we go. All right. You know, he pre, you know, he gives me the, you know, whatever you do before your surgery. And he tells yeah. me how we're going to lay it out. I said, what's the all time record for coming back from elbow <laughs> surgery? And he looks at me and he kind of gives me a time. I said, I'm going to be back earlier than that. I did end up beating his all-time record. Yeah. Dumbest, dumbest move I ever made. You know, it was like I just forced it. I wasn't ready. And it, like you you mentioned with Tommy John, backing off when it feels good, yeah. I, I kind of forced it. But I'm impressed that you remember I had elbow surgery. Well, it's the only like, surgery I ever had. It's like Bryce Harper. He came back early because he, now he's playing first base. He doesn't have to make any throws from Tommy right. John. Right. Or he's, he can DH now. I mean, he can right. do without having to throw. And you were lucky enough that you played second base. You didn't have to make any long throws from short or third. So it's much easier for you to come back from. Right. But yeah. I remember that. You came back, you had that big old black sleeve on. Yeah. I remember all these things. So, yeah. Um, I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> almost uh, flattered. I'm almost flattered, uh, Izzy. <laughs> well, because it was very impressive that it's like, I mean, this kid just had elbow surgery, like, a month ago and now he's already hitting bombs again i mean i okay. couldn't imagine what that pressure was on the inside of your elbow swinging a bat from the right side either i would figure you'd have a rougher time with that than actually throwing yeah i forget the time but it was like 22 days yeah, it i was made it back because i went on a road trip we were in chicago i remember it was cold it was early in the season and ray knight was my skipper at the time and and i was on the road trip they weren't even going to have me on the road trip they're like, there's no reason you're going. You're not going to be eligible for a couple of weeks to even play. And I said, oh, I talked my way onto the airplane. They said, okay, you can go. I said, I just want to be there to watch. In my mind, I knew when I was eligible to come off the DL at that time. Yeah. And I didn't say anything. But the day I was eligible to come off, I remember going to the ballpark and said, Ray, I'm ready to play. And he said, you're crazy. You're not ready to play. I said, I'm ready to play. And I went out. We went out on the field. I played catch with Ray Knight. And I mean, just just grinning, bearing it. I mean, my elbow was killing me and I'm firing balls to Ray and he's out there playing catch with me as my manager. And he goes, 
I, I didn't know you, you felt this good. I said, I feel great and I'm ready to go. <laughs> they took me off the DL that day and play. And I mean, it was one of those where I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I can't tell you how bad my elbow hurts, but I told Andrews I had to break the record and come back early. That's the whole reason for my little, my little, uh, infantile tantrum. Yeah. I'll show them. I should have waited a few more weeks, but anyway, yeah. All right. That, I got caught up in a story that, that no, was funny. It was bringing back memories. So I was in, I was, I went to Tampa and uh, I threw nine games in Tampa, and I threw a pitch. Well, I was warming up, and uh, I think Bobby Ramos was our bullpen uh, bullpen catcher or our bullpen coach. And I threw a pitch. I was like, oh, man, that didn't feel good. And he's like, you okay? I said, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to blow out my elbow. I said, I only got like a few more throws left. And it was like the third pitch of the inning. My elbow snapped. The ball went halfway up the backstop. Oh. And I was like, well, there it went. And I go inside. And uh, I had Tommy John again, and I never rehabbed a day after that because I didn't think I was ever going to pitch again. I'm back home playing slow pitch softball with my buddies, and, and I'm firing balls from the outfield wall to home plate. And I'm like, damn, my elbow feels pretty good. And uh, I called up J.P. Ricciardi, who was the assistant GM, who was with Oakland back, with me back in the days below Billy. And I said, hey, do you think uh, the Mets weren't, weren't that great back then? Uh, this would have been uh, 2002. 9 2010 i said can i come down to florida and throw in front of you guys you tell me what you think and uh, i was living in tampa at the time and so i just drove across the state and i threw and he goes uh this might work out and i said okay i said uh he goes but you might have to stay down here until we work out our roster up in new york so i stayed down in florida and for like three weeks just kept rehabbing on my own you know just throwing and doing rehab with the trainers and stuff like that without ever doing any major rehab and next thing you know they made a move up top and i went up there and pitched the rest of the season with the mets got my 300 save after i got my first one in 99 and then in 2000 so it was 11 years later i got my first in 300 with the mets and then from there i uh, i signed uh, with the angels that was albert's first year with the angels and uh stayed there all year and so she was our manager and uh it was my first glimpse of the great mike trout you know, and uh, it was an amazing to watch Trout and the talent that he had then. Uh, we all know who he is now and what he's capable of doing. But, yeah, I was with Albert for the seven years in New York and then uh, his first year in Anaheim. And, you know, congrats to him on the year, he, the, the career he had, 700 home runs and just an amazing talent. But, yeah, the, like you talked about, the the mental side of the elbow thing was just, just being patient, really, with the Tommy John. Um Cause you're doing all this stuff. It, the main thing is just to get your shoulder strong, you know, because usually after you have Tommy John, you come back to a little harder. And if your shoulder's not ready for that, you're going to rip your shoulder out of socket. So I remember I topped out maybe at 93, 94 as a starter. And then when I came back and I could, I hit a hundred a few times those years I was in Oakland. So yeah, you just really had to prepare your body to be able to, to throw again. That was the main thing. Yeah. Amazing. And I, and I hear that, uh, you know, you mentioned they, I don't know what they do in the Tommy John, but a lot of t more times than not guys come back from it that, that recover from it. Well, they are throwing their velocities up when yeah. they come back from it. Yeah. Well, it's a, almost to the point where you want to have a, a you want to have a couple you well, started it. I could start at 86, probably in my heyday, yeah. I'd be at a hundred, but th four surgeries later. Well, now you get a lot of parents trying to get their kids to have Tommy John at 14 to 15. So they can maybe get drafted and, uh, 
that's the sad part of it. But yeah, I mean, I think what they do is when they put that new ligament in there, they tighten up the elbow so tight, uh, you know, your body originally you have this somewhat of an elasticity in your elbow. And then once they tighten that thing up in there, it's just like a really tight rubber band and you get a lot more whip. But like I said, you got to really strengthen everything else, your shoulder and stuff, because the, to be able to withstand all that torque, it's just an unnatural uh, a feat to throw that hard. Your body just can't take it. You finished in 2012 with, with the Angels. Great career. 300 saves, as you mentioned, 364, uh, Ernie. And, and you had you got 51 wins under your belt, too, you know, from the starter standpoint. Uh, awesome career. And I want to do a little something with you because I, I, I went through your career and I was looking at uh, some of the managers you played. But you had played for a lot of a lot of interesting managers. Uh, so I'm going to do a little rapid fire. I just want a sentence or two. What comes to mind? Bobby V. Bobby V. Pain in my ass. <laughs> love it. Love it. Art Howe. Um, did a good job of keeping misfits together. <laughs> Tony Larusa, who you've spent a lot of time with. Yeah, smartest baseball man I've ever been around. Joe Madden. Wow. Um. He was a, a total players manager. Very smart man. And I'll finish with uh, a guy that I was always interested playing against. Uh, just love the way he set his team up, especially from a base running standpoint. You played for him at the end, Mike Sosha. Mike Sosha. Um, you know, ex-catcher. You could tell he was an ex-catcher, just the way he ran his game. Um, he knew what one game. Those guys went from first to third, the best I'd ever seen. Um Emphasis on base running, putting putting pressure on the defense. Unbelievable, wasn't he, Sosha? I, I used yeah. to I remember our meetings before we go into a series with the Angels. And I'd say, guys, I'm telling you, they're gonna run in your face. They're gonna go first to third. Everybody is. If there's a chance to score, they're waving them in at second base, their leads. I mean, they and and at the big league level, you know, a guy like Ichiro in right field. He's not used to a lot of people running on him. Well, when you play the Angels, they'll run right in your face. Yeah. And you're amazed. It's amazing to me still to this day when I watch the game. I said, you'd be amazed how good those outfielders really aren't when you consistently run in their face. And now all of a sudden they feel the pressure of, oh, I got I to gotta throw a strike here. Yeah. Um, but but Sosha is one of those guys that always really smart, too. You know, really smart kind of thinking with the game. I I never played for him. Don't know Sosa that well. We've had him on the program. Uh, I think he, he – I don't know. He's a smart baseball man. But I, I always get like to get people's feelings on that. Jason and I appreciate you coming on the, on the podcast. This is a lot of fun. And uh, for all you out there watching the Boone podcast, check it out. Subscribe. Give me a uh, – Drop me a line. Tell me what we could do better. But in the meantime, uh, for those listening, keep listening. We'll see you next time. Jason Isringhausen. Thanks, man. Thanks, man.